Hi, this is Channing. And this is Leah. And you've reached Vessel, Art as a Doorway. Welcome to episode 33. Hey, we're so excited that you're here with us at Vessel Art as a Doorway. It's a pleasure having you listening in on the show. And today we have a really unique guest. And when we think about a graffiti art and a well-established artist, Man One, on the show. I think we're both extremely honored to have the man on the show and to learn about his practice and to understand how his art has impacted the community was really phenomenal. Yeah, this was a really interesting conversation because many times when people think of graffiti, they think of it being a problem in a, in a neighborhood and vandalism. So it was really interesting. You're gonna hear how Man One has taken that background and uses street art as a way to solve problems. Yeah, and before we uh, get started with the interview, we just want to tell you a little bit more. I believe uh, the past two episodes, we were telling you about the event that Leah was involved in, now Art in Luminex. And it's actually going to be happening this week on September 17th. And we want to invite all of you uh, to this event. It's going to be really spectacular. Just to name a few of the other artists that are going to be there will be Nancy Baker Cahill, Rafiq Anadol, Sarah Rara, and Nate Moeller. And there's also some other artists that are going to be there and performances. And it's really going to be interesting mix of art and technology in very experimental ways that will create a immersive experience. Yeah, it's really an award-winning outdoor digital art exhibition that they'll be doing. And the curator, Carmen Zella, was actually featured last year in a TEDx. Last year, they had over 15,000 people that showed up, and it was even during at the peak of COVID. So you could just imagine how many people are going to show up flying in from various cities to see this event. So we definitely want to invite you to that. So hopefully we can see you there in the future. And so, yeah, again, it's Saturday, September 17th, and it'll be free and open to the public. So hopefully we will see you there. If you're not able to come that day, then we'll also have it on the Hoverlay app. We're working with Hoverlay to create a augmented reality version. So anytime you're in Los Angeles and you come downtown, you'll be able to use that app to walk around and see the exhibition. Yeah, so... Carmen Zella, she did a phenomenal job curating that show, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. But getting back to our interview here with Man One. We know you guys are really going to love hearing his experience with graffiti in the 80s and how now he's having such an amazing impact in communities using art as a problem solver. So here it is, our interview with Man One. Audience, guess what? We have the privilege to have the artists, the muralists, the graffiti artists, and we could even say the curator, the great man one. Man one, we are so happy to have you with us, man. Welcome to Vessel Thank Artists you. Doorway. Awesome. Thank and, you. I'm happy to be here. You know, you get called man one. He's like the OG of graffiti <laughs> art. You know, especially out here in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, we could just say so much about the man. You no, know, not only is he a, a phenomenal artist and graffiti artist, but 
He's even taken on a role as a curator. You've seen him at museums, you've seen him at galleries, you've seen him on TV. This is the man. And we're just really ecstatic to have you on the show. Because today in this show, I thought it would be good to help people to bridge how art has actually impacted people. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's not just something that we need. Right. Um, it's essential in life. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not only is it essential, like I truly believe that art could really change the world. You know, I believe that art is a vehicle to transform minds and, and you know, bring people together in ways that nothing else can, you know, no politics or governments or anything else can really connect people the way the way art can, you know, it's a, it's a universal language. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to connect people and make this world a better place. Definitely. You're doing it well, man. So, uh, you know, let's uh, let's get right into it. When we think about your background as an artist, what could you tell us a little bit uh, more about your background as a graffiti artist? Yeah, of course. So so I'm first generation born in East L.A. My parents were both from Mexico. So I grew up, you know, I was born and raised in L.A. and grew up knowing Spanish in my first language. And since I was a little kid, I remember going to school and always drawing. And looking back on it, I finally realized that I think I was doing that because I didn't know English yet. So a lot of my friends in class, I couldn't really communicate with them in English. And so uh, I would draw. And when I would draw, they would come over and huddle and check out what I was doing. And somehow we communicated. And so, I mean, I learned English really quickly. You know, by first grade, I was already starting to speak the language. But, but it just shows you how art is a language, right? So that's, that's where I began was just drawing in school and things like that. Once I got into like about sixth grade is when, about, is when like the whole hip hop thing started. You know, this is back in the, the mid 80s, early 80s. I was, I wanted to be a break dancer and then I sucked. And then I wanted to be a DJ, but I didn't have the equipment. I couldn't afford it. Even though graffiti was always in the background of all the hip hop videos and, and things like that, I never really put two and two together. I just kept drawing on paper and doing my thing. But it was in high school when I was about 16, 16 or 17 years old that um, uh, I encountered a kid tagging on a bus. I used to take the bus to school every day. And it was a boring drive. This kid was tagging. I was like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, hey, I'm just doing some, some graffiti. And he gave me the marker and said, just write whatever you want, just to put your real name. So I was listening to a group called Mantronics on my headphones. And I wrote Mantronics, just kind of being stupid and silly. But it stuck. Every day I was like telling this kid, hey, let me borrow your marker again. And I write Mantronics on the bus. But after a few weeks of doing that, I was like, let's, let's, Let's do this for real. Let's go on the streets and do it. Like, why are we just doing it on the bus? And uh, that was my journey. That's where it began. And when I started doing it on the streets, I quickly realized that Mantronics was way too long. By the time I got to the X, the cops would probably be arresting me. So I cut it down to the first three letters, which is M-A-N. And ever since then, my name has been Man One. And the one is a graffiti term in L.A. that we were using back in the day to indicate that you were the originator of that name. There was no man two or man 10 or anything. It was like, you're the originator of that name. And uh, so my street name is really man. And it's just man one makes it formal, you know, and that's what I sign everything is man one. And just, you know, I know you asked before or whatever, but my real name is Alejandro Poli uh, Jr. And I remember when I was in college and I was 
Writing Man One, and one of my professors asked me, how are you going to sign your paintings when you're out of here? And I said, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe Poli or maybe Man One. He goes, no, 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 there's no maybe. He's like, you have to pick one way to do it because that's going to become your your identity. You know, that's 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 it. So I chose Man One and, and I just said, you know, I'm already known on the streets that way, so I might as well keep going with it. So the I've had this name now since 1987 mm. and still going strong with it, you know. But uh, so that's kind of my my story there and how how uh, I started doing it. But, you know, quickly I started learning how to paint on the streets. Uh, like I said, in around 87, 88, 89, those were my formative years on the streets. Uh, I quickly learned that it was an art form, you know, like I love it. I, I immediately knew like this is this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like at the time, no one was making a dime doing that. But I kept telling my friends, there's a way to make money at this. I don't know how. Maybe we got to do it on canvas. Maybe we got to show in galleries. Uh, maybe we got to get paid to do murals, something. But there's a way, there's got to be a way to make money at this because it's, it's, it's an art form, you know. And sure enough, you know, fast forward all these years, I'm still doing it. And, and this is how I make a career, you know. That's very cool. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that, that transition from the streets and graffiti into museums and galleries and public art? Yeah, so so I went to college from like 89 to 93. And during that time, I was at first a little bit disillusioned because my professors at the beginning didn't want to hear about my graffiti. They were just like, put that stuff away and you got to learn the, the rules before you try to break them, right? So, so during the day I was doing like still lifes and portrait painting and then at night I was doing graffiti on the weekends I was doing graffiti and it wasn't until like the end of my well probably the beginning of my junior year that one of my professors saw what I was doing and then started asking me like hey what's what's this stuff you're doing I just saw you sharing some photos with a friend I said yeah it's my street work it's my graffiti and he's like why haven't you showed us this and I said well I showed some professors but they weren't really down with it and he said no no this is what you got to be doing and he said um incorporate it into any of your projects, any of your classwork, all of your classwork, you know, whether it's printmaking or sculpture or oil painting. So I took his advice and started doing that. And I quickly realized that that was going to be my voice and that was going to make me stand out from other artists. And that was going to be the way that I was going to be able to express myself. So I graduated in 93 and I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this full time. Right. And 94, I had my first solo exhibition, City of Insanity. It was a, a solo show on Melrose at a, what they call alternative spaces. Because back then, graffiti wasn't a viable art form and there was no one giving graffiti artists spaces. So that was my first show. I sold like 17 out of 25 paintings. I've wow. never sold 17 paintings again. <laughs> but, but that really showed me like, wow, there's, there's, there's a market, you know, like I could sell work, like this is amazing. So I did that. That same year was the first time I showed at a, at a museum, a major museum. I showed at MOCA, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, as part of a bigger show. And that showed me that like there was a, you know, an audience for it. So I just like, I just went for it. I was like, you know, there's no holding back. Now, it took a while for, for people to catch up to that, right? Like, galleries were still not supporting graffiti artists and museums were, you know, not really supporting graffiti art. So um, by the time, uh, like early 2000s, I decided to 
just opened my own gallery because <laughs> so I was just tired of trying to send, you know, that time we had to send slides to galleries and things like that, right? This is before, before the internet and before uh, emails and all that stuff. So we would send in the mail, snail mail slides, and then we'd just get them back saying, sorry, but we're not interested. So in 2002, I opened up Crew S Gallery, which was the first uh, full-time graffiti gallery in Los Angeles. And I, I started it as a way to say, hey, like, this is an art form. You guys have to, you know, the general public has to understand that we're not just gang members and, and just kids writing, you know, worthless stuff on the streets. This is like a full-blown, you know, art movement. And sure enough, it took off. And I ran the gallery for 10 years. And by the time those 10 years were over, there was big exhibitions like Art in the Streets that happened. There was all kinds of corporate opportunities for artists now, you know, and obviously social media and all that really helped with all that stuff and getting it out there. But um, yeah, it just transformed like in, in, in easily in a decade, you know. So, you know, I was part of that movement and I'm happy that I was able to contribute my little bit. And, you know, that's kind of how it all started. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, it, it's interesting because we've seen your work over the years. I think Leah and I, we came across it maybe, I want to think over 18 or 20 some odd years ago. Mm. Um, and I remember even back when we were living in Atlanta, they, were, they, they had publications and occasionally like you would see your art actually, you know, be yeah. featured in some of those books. And, you know, you know, one of the things that we're seeing now, looking at the social media, Web 2, Web 3, is that yeah. you kind of transitioned into a, a curator. How would you describe like your role now in the curatorial role? Yeah, so I mean, I think I've always been a curator. And I say that because when I started as a graffiti artist, you know, one of the first things you do is you become part of a crew because it's very hard, especially in L.A., to be running around being the solo artist, mm-hmm. running around the middle of the night, trying to do graffiti <laughs> with no backup, you know? Yeah. So um, you have to run with the crew. And so I ran with the crew, COI, Cause of Insanity, which I, I still hit up all the time. I still consider it my family and stuff. And so I remember even then when I was just doing walls with my friends, I remember telling a certain artist to like do something over here or, or add this to it or, you know, and if we look back on it, that's kind of what I was doing. I was curating those spaces already without knowing that that's what I was doing. And then at, you know, in the late nineties or mid nineties, late nineties, um, I put together some events uh, where I invited graffiti artists to do murals. Like we did a big project in, in Tijuana, Mexico. And I organized about 30 artists to go down there. So I curated that obviously running the gallery, I curated hundreds <laughs> of exhibitions, mm-hmm. but it's not something that's funny because like, it's kind of come second nature to me and I've never really stopped and, and said, okay, let me call myself a curator, but I am. And, um, you know, just recently I did, uh, I, well, I think when I last saw you guys was I was doing something for the U S bank tower in uh, downtown LA and I curated, you know, a set of, of eight muralists to do the whole front of the, of the bank tower. And I love doing it because, you know, curating is something where it's bigger than you. You know, sometimes you know where you want your art, what, how you want to, exp- how to express it or how you want to build it out or whatever. But then when you invite other people and you have a bigger vision of like, how do I connect the dots with these 10 artists or how do I communicate this broader theme to the community or to this audience with these 
different voices, you know, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's that's a lot of fun because I can't read every artist's, you know, mind. Right. I can't see what they see. I can only see my vision. But usually I know the artist well enough or I know their work or I trust them enough to give them that space. And usually it's pretty awesome. It's usually a lot bigger, a lot better than I even envisioned it originally. So curating allows for that, you know, and I'm definitely doing more of that nowadays, for sure, especially with, you know, I get a lot of calls because of social media and stuff like that to do projects. And a lot of times these people who are calling, you know, the corporate types or whatever, and they've never worked with an artist, let alone 10 artists, right? And um, I'm able to guide them through and say, hey, you know, like, just give me the ball. I'll run with it. I'll show you. (laughs) I can do this in my sleep, you know? And so a lot of companies really appreciate that because um, number one, it takes a lot of load off their hands. But the number two, they know that it's coming from an authentic place and and it's coming from someone who knows who, who knows the ins and outs of of all of this this different type of art. So um, so I, I I dig it. I dig curating, and I'm definitely you know doing more of it now. So um, it's just it's just another thing to add, I guess, to to my world, right? Mm-hmm. That's it's amazing. So, what is one of your favorite projects that you've worked on? in your own art practice or curated? One of, one of the biggest projects that I curated um, and worked on was we did a 2007 meeting of styles at the LA River. And I was working with the Friends of the Los Angeles River. You know, we got to do like, I brought in like 200 artists, maybe more, uh, at least 200 artists, 200 of the most well-known um, graffiti artists in LA. And we painted over 10,000 square feet of the Alley River on a weekend. It was amazing. Um, we had a DJ under the bridge spinning. We had people bring their little barbecues and we're doing pop-up barbecues. You know, the artists were able to drive their cars down to the Alley River, you know, just like in Greece, like in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we had all this beautiful vibe, you know, and it was like, it was really one of the most epic events that I've ever been a part of let alone you know put together but with every great idea and great project there's always you know controversy and things like that that happen and unfortunately the murals no longer exist because a a certain politician was not down with it and uh, we had a really long one year almost one year battle back and forth trying to save those walls and uh, ultimately we lost because you know we don't own the walls Mm -hmm. but but we lost in the sense that the murals got taken down but we won in the sense that um, it created a lot of just uh, interest in the river, which is what we were trying to do. You know, I was working with the late uh, Lewis McAdams, uh, rest in peace, you know, and um, the whole idea was to bring awareness to the Alley River and to the art. And so we did that, you know, so that's definitely one of the most like epic events that I remember putting together. There was a lot of way more details. I'll spare you all the details, but there was a there was a lot that happened that weekend, and it was a it was a really good event. Yeah, yeah, that's, we would love the details if <laughs> we had <have> time. <laughs> but that sounded amazing. I would have loved to see that. It's like I look at all that concrete where, and there's not very much water in the river. <laughs> right, right. I'm sure that was amazing, and I always think like, man, I wish artists could just take over that whole space if there's no water there like instead of right. just that 
hot concrete. I, I'm telling you, you know, it's um, it's almost like 60 miles of concrete, right? Could you imagine this gallery of art if it just like imagine being on a plane flying over the LA River and you just see this colorful snake going through the city? Um, it'd be amazing, but it's a lot of politics involved, a lot of a lot of players involved, and it's 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 very difficult. Uh, more difficult than I would have thought. It's very difficult uh, managing stuff down there because like all the different cities that are butted up against the river, you know, there's obviously like the city of LA, but then there's all the, all these other smaller cities, you know, Southgate and Long Beach and whatever. Um, they all have a say in the river. And then also you have the county and the county has, LA County has a big say in the river. But then you have the, um, the Corps of Engineers, which is government, right? Federal government. And then they have a say <laughs> so yeah. it's it's really difficult trying to do anything down there, let alone something that like a big master plan, you know, with art. So so I was I felt fortunate that we were able to pull it off when we did. But, you know, maybe someday we can revisit it. Um, you know, there is a big master plan going on for the Alley River, not not with the art side, but more with the community and things like that. And that's been going on for years. And who knows if that plan will ever really happen. But, you know, hopefully you know, the art component can happen at some point, you know, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's a shame that we have such a, a huge canvas that we can't utilize the way, mm-hmm. the way we'd like to, you know, and other cities have, I've seen other cities where they've utilized uh, their, their rivers and banks, uh, the walls on, on the banks of the rivers to, to do some really cool stuff. So who knows? Keep me hopeful. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we, we had a, a chance to interview uh, Jane Golden, and oh, yeah. she works with the city of Philadelphia. Yep. And there's some marvelous uh, things that they're putting up. And it's not just like tagging, you know, mm-hmm. this is real artwork that's going that's up. Good. And it's bringing in a ton of money to the local businesses, right. which is interesting because, you know, let's say, you know, for instance, uh, Leah, you know, we're doing some of her murals. You can see that when a mural is put up, people come because they want to take pictures. They want to be around the artwork. So right. some some of these uh, individuals, they, they may not be looking past that the actual financial and the power that's behind some of the artwork that's actually bringing in uh, e-commerce to businesses locally, you know, even, mm-hmm. you know, so that, you know, that's one of the things that we really enjoy talking about is the dynamic. It's like, we don't need art but we need art. <laughs> exactly. Well, there, there, there's another part to that, that people don't realize how, how impactful art is, right? There's definitely that part where when you create art, it makes something beautiful aesthetically. It also provides, you know, information and things like that. And people want to go see it. People want to experience it firsthand. So there's all that part. And then it creates business around it. But there's also a component of like just community, right? Like mm-hmm. when you create this artwork and then all of a sudden there's little nine-year-old kids in the community and they say, hey, you look like me and you're doing something on this scale. Mm-hmm. That means I could do something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden you empower like young people and, you know, children and teenagers to, to feel like, hey, art can be something that I can, you know, if I like art, if I want to do art, I can do it and make it make something out of myself, make something out of this community. And so um, countless times I can tell you that I've worked with kids who were ready to drop out of high school um, or had dropped out of high school 
kids who had no visible future for themselves and then was able to mentor them on programs and years later meet them again and find out like now they're working at Google mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or uh, running their own business, you know, whatever. And they'll tell me and they'll thank me for, for having just, you know, let them in on, on, a, on a mural project that they said changed their life, you know? And so that happens all the time. And I talk to mural artists all the time. And, and that's a common, common thing that happens with public art is when you include the youth and include young people, like it really is impactful, you know? So. Yeah, that's true. It's like, it creates this sense of belonging and community. And then for anybody to be involved, directly involved in it, they feel like there is a way for them to give to the yeah. community. And that's kind of one, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because that's one of the things that Jane Golden had pointed out. They have a project in Philadelphia that works with people who are, who are in prison and they're coming out. That's right. Yeah. And she said that those that participate in that art program, they, there's a very, very, very low percentage of them go back to prison because now they have an opportunity to give back to the community instead of taking from it through crime and and other ways. So it's just really interesting to see how it works with our mind and our, our sense of um, connection to each other. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also a skill people don't, you know, just, it's not just art, like anyone can do it. It's a skill. And so if, if you come out of one of these programs and you've been painting with an artist and you learn how to paint, you now have a skill that you can go and, and become a sign writer, a sign painter. You can become a muralist. You can, you know, do all kinds of things with it when maybe before you couldn't, you know, so definitely it's a, there's so many reasons why we need art. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that true? Now, getting back to Los Angeles, uh, how have you seen the work in Los Angeles over the years uh, change for artists? Well, yeah, it's definitely changed in a lot of different ways. I think the the biggest thing that's changed the alley landscape has been, I want to say, social media. And it's both negative and positive. Mm. Um, Number one, on the positive side, I think, you know, this is probably one of the best times if not the best time ever for artists to be making a living full time as, as an artist, because, because of social media, because of the internet, um, all these kind of things, you know, we can go directly to, to, to the client. We can speak directly to our audience, you know, and uh, we can sell to them and we can communicate for many years before that. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, there was the gatekeepers, right. And, and you had a knock on the doors and try to get into the gallery and, if you didn't get into a good gallery, then you didn't get seen by the right people and then your work didn't sell. And it just became this snowball effect of like you feeling like there's no way that I can become an artist and make a living. And nowadays, that's not true. Nowadays is like you don't need a gallery. You don't need you don't even need hundreds of thousands of followers, you know, because if you just have a few people who are willing to, to follow you and really support you, you know, uh, you can make a good living. You, you, you could have a thousand followers and if those thousand people are giving you, you know, a hundred bucks a month, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. You, you can see how it adds up. And like, next thing you know, you have a viable career. So in that aspect, I think it's been really good for artists in LA. Also, you know, with the public art in LA, there's been a, a, a shift because back in the seventies, when Chicano art was really the thing happening on the streets I remember as a kid growing up and seeing these incredible murals, especially like on the east side 
it was really inspirational. But you know, those artists weren't making money; they were just kind of doing it as a as a statement, right? And the whole Chicano movement has grown. Um, and then when graffiti came in and everything exploded in terms of walls being painted and all that, um, in 2002, I think it was there, 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 uh, there was a moratorium on on mural on mural art in, in LA, so all murals became illegal. And that lasted till about 2013. And myself, as you know, we mentioned earlier, um, my friend Isabel uh, Rojas Williams, who um, she uh, along with a bunch of other people got together and we we helped come up with with an ordinance with the, for the city to make murals a permitted activity, right? Mm-hmm. And so around 2013, there was an explosion of art again. And street art also became a thing, mm-hmm. not just graffiti or not just murals, but then street art, which is kind of a whole other thing. Everything converged. And so the arts district became the epicenter of all these murals going up. But then you also had stuff on the west side uh, by the mm-hmm. beaches. And really, L.A. became this huge playground of murals and the street art. And that was really good for the city, I think, in terms of the look of it and all that and bringing more business and, and all those good things. One of the downside of it was that people started bringing in like big celebrity artists, right? So a lot of artists got flown in from Europe and got prime time walls, you know, down the street from where my studio was, let's say. And I'm like, wait a minute, why did they fly <laughs> this guy, you know, halfway around the world to do something in my neighborhood, you know? And pay him tons of money. So that became an issue because now you had all these like big celebrity artists flying around from all over the world and and getting some of the the money that maybe should have gone to local artists. You know, it's not like L.A. is a tiny place. It's not like we don't have enough artists in L.A. Right. But that worked itself out. You know, I think now it's more, you know, I think I think I think there's a lot more L.A. artists now doing stuff on that scale. So it's kind of leveled off a little bit, which is good. But um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's just been a, uh, an incredible kind of like growth. And I don't know how else to say it, but L.A. is really one of the, the capitals of the world in terms of street art, in terms of murals. You know, um, we used to be the biggest city, but we lost that to places like Philadelphia, uh, which, by the way, you know, is an excellent model they have there for how they run the program, because in L.A., we don't have a mural budget. There's not. There, there's opportunities once in a while you can sign up for, but there isn't like an allotted amount of money that you could just go and keep digging every every month and trying to produce new work. You know, it's it runs a little bit different here in LA. So I wish there was a bigger budget. You know, there should be there should be millions of dollars uh, at the Cultural Affairs Department being used like all the time for not only just for for new murals but also for maintenance. You know, how many other murals in LA have you seen that are completely destroyed? And there's no maintenance on them and that the city should be maintaining those. It's, it's not the artist's job to maintain those murals. You know, once the art is created, the city needs to maintain them. And I've had my own experience of my own murals, you know, being taken away because they get tagged on and then no one cleans it up and the city is slow to react. And next thing you know, my mural has gone. So that's the, another downside um, that's happened with art is like with so many murals, who's taking care of them? who's who's upkeeping them you know they're on the public you know they're not they're not behind glass inside a, a museum you know they're on the side of the streets and people will tag on them and the sun will fade the color and 
cars crash into buildings all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's all these things that happen because it's public art. So there should be some kind of maintenance that's happening on a way bigger scale than what's happening now, which is almost non-existent, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. You mentioned quite a few really interesting things. One of the things just working backwards through some of the things you mentioned is that's one of the reasons why we enjoy talking about the concrete benefits of art is because um, this feeling that is just extra, like it's nice to have, but it's not necessary, but Mm. it does. But by talking about all of these amazing things and one of the things to talking and um, audience too, if you want to hear Jane Golden or Isabel Rojas Williams interviews, you can kind of, you can look through, we'll probably have them in the show's notes, but then also you can look through our past episodes and they, there's phenomenal in, interviews that really go nicely with this conversation. But um, one of the nice things too, with Philadelphia, with Jane Golden, they they do such an excellent job of collecting data. And it's, yeah. And it's, and it's interesting, too, because uh, coming from, and I know, especially you, since you've been in the, you know, the art world and in college and, and different things, sometimes artists, they don't really like talking about money. And mm-hmm. then also the idea of being able to quantify what they do so that they can talk to somebody who to be able to communicate with someone who thinks of things in terms of more business, because yeah. we see the we see the connection between the um, emotional and mental wellness of people when they receive art and how that translates into it being good for the community and for and the domino effect that happens economically but it's like people who are in the the business realm and especially since you have a lot of experience talking to people in business it sounds like you're really good with communicating that to them but not a lot of artists really appreciate that that's important to that's the language they speak so that's the language that's important to to bring to them that way they know if this gets tagged we we put an investment into this community into this art piece we Mm -hmm. should clean it up because we should protect this asset it's an asset that we have in this community yeah absolutely that's 100 percent true for whatever reason i've always had a good business sense even though i didn't go to business school or anything like that but i maybe it's just my wanting to or my need to have to make a living at what I do that I was like, I'm just going to be good at business somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been fortunate. So I have the artistic side and I also have the, the business sense. And that's why I was able to open up a gallery and represent artists and curate things and, and all that. But when I have these meetings with these people, it's exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes you, you have to understand where they're coming from. Right. Like I talked to a business owner and he doesn't care if it's flowers or dolphins or Kobe Bryant, right? Mm-hmm. He cares about like, is his property value going to go up? He's talking about like, what's in it for him? Like, is he going to get positive stuff in the media? Is he going to be able to get a bigger loan next time? <laughs> so when you can understand where these people are coming from on the business side, and then you're able to address that, it's almost a no brainer for them because they, they leave the art up to you because most of the time they're like, well, we have no idea what you're talking about in terms of the art, but are you saying that it's going to attract the business across the street and and bring a a cool coffee shop in here? Then yeah, I want to do that. You know? So yeah, it's, it's important to be able to, to speak that language as well. And most artists, you're right. Most artists do not speak that language. That's why I always tell artists like, you can't shy, shy away from the money conversation because you should be making a living 
or at least if you're doing a part-time or just whatever, you should at least be getting compensated for, for your efforts because what you're bringing is something valuable to the community. So if you don't know how to talk about money, that's okay. Get work with someone who does, right? Get a rep, get an agent, get a friend, whatever, someone who can speak that language because, you know, growing up as a graffiti artist, we used to run around and do walls for free all day long because we didn't know that it was that valuable, right? We just wanted to get up. We just wanted to put our name up. We just wanted to, you know, hit this whole wall and do our art. But then later on, when you see that piece of art and it's been up there untagged for like 10 years and people in the community love the, the art, that's when you realize like, oh man, I should have made some money on that, you know, because <laughs> I, I brought something to this community that, that they cherish now, you know? So it is important for artists to be able to speak that language. And like I said, if, if they don't know how to do it and that's fine, then work with someone who does because nowadays, you know, in the age of social media and everything, like um, there's no excuse not to be making money when you have a talent, whatever the talent is, you know? And so um, the, the, that old excuse about like uh, starving artists, like that's not, that's old. That's old talk. <laughs> that's not this century. <laughs> and then the thing is what the irony is like thinking about like there's I've read books about psychology and money and how money tells a story and things like that. People actually, because they pay for something, they actually value it more. But it's exactly. like, it's, so it's kind of sad because so many artists are phenomenal. They give this, they give their work away for free, mm-hmm. which is so generous of them. But it's sad because, because this person didn't have to pay for it. They yeah. don't necessarily respect it. They respect yeah. something, somebody who did something less, but they made a lot of more money off of it. So it feels like it's worth more. So it's just kind of interesting to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I tell a lot of artists, you know, when you go, when you go and trying to get a mural done or whatever, and you're trying to talk about a budget, don't shy away from that. You know, don't, don't say I'll do it for free, you know? And sometimes these people will say stuff like, <laughs> Oh, you know, if you, if you do this one next time, I'm going to, I'm going to pay you, you know, X amount of dollars, or I'll give you a bigger wall. You know, guess what happens next time? Next time when they actually do have money, they hire the real artist they wanted to hire before who wouldn't do it for less money, right? Like they'll go and bring that international artist and do this big wall. They're not going to get it back to you, you know? So you always have to like, just, just get something out of what you're doing because it's, it's, it's too valuable. It's too valuable to the community. It's too valuable to the business owner maybe or whatever, but also just for yourself, you know, you should, you should uh, have some pride and some, and some just know your value, you know, as an artist. And the thing is all that happens when I, you know, watching artists, like when they're paid, or, you know, when I get paid, all we do is just put it more into better work, <laughs> you know, more yeah, work, better right. work, give it back to others, share what the knowledge that we have. So it's just empowering. And so yeah. it's like when artists do go ahead and just make a living, get paid for now we have so much more work and so much more that we have from man one because man one, you know, has figured out how to run a business with his art practice. So now we've get to experience more from you, you know? So it's yeah. just positive that happens. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I remember a, a couple of years before the pandemic, we got a chance to go visit swim city, which is in Switzerland. And 
We got a chance to hang out with one of the museum owners uh, close to the Kunst Museum. Yeah, actually, it was, so what it was is the Kunst Hall, the architectural muse, museum in Basel, Switzerland. They had a, a an exhibit called Swim City. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the director he was asking us questions and then we all, he took us on like a little tour of the city. It was pretty phenomenal. Like we didn't know him. We just walked in and he was like, anyways. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah. 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 But I was just thinking, you know, as we walked around the city, you know, obviously we saw, you know, so much uh, mural work, but actually on the actual river, which is uh, a river that, that, that surrounds, I believe it was the Rhine river. It was the Rhine river. And he mentioned that there were artists that actually designed the boats that, <laughs> <laughs> that go around the city, you know, so it, it's just phenomenal, you know, seeing, you know, artists, when they, when they get compensated for doing their work, they bring more money. And obviously there are people who are actually working to design these products that the artists are creating. So, you know, yeah. like you said earlier, you know, now you're just basically creating a community of people. It's like a regenerative uh, process that's actually happening, you know, you know, when it Absolutely. comes to this art. Yeah. And, you know, the thing with artists is that I told one of my clients this one time and he was really taken aback. And I said, I said, you know what my job is as an artist? And he was like, no, what is it? And I said, my job as an artist, you know, is, is to solve problems. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, he was taken aback because he thought he thought my job was to like beautify things or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said, "What do you mean? That's your job to solve problems?" And I said, "Yeah, because when someone calls me to paint a mural, they're not really asking me like an aesthetic question. They're asking me something about like that they don't know how to do, and they have a problem. They have a blank wall, and there's a problem. The problem is they want more people in the door." The problem is they want people to stop tagging the walls. The problem is, you know, there's an infinite amount of problems that they're trying to address while you're painting the art. And so if you address those problems through your art, then you're a problem solver, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of so, so many things in, 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 in major cities, right, are about people thinking outside the box. Some of the best architecture in the world has happened because people have thought outside the box. Some of the best, you know, even just programs, um, happen because people think outside of the box and some of the people the best people equipped to think outside of the box are artists and so you know that's why you see a lot of artists working for companies like nike and adidas and because you know what does like they're talking about fashion you know or 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 shoes or even they're talking about billboards or communication or marketing well artists have answers for all that stuff you know and so I think the more you integrate art into things, the better some of the answers can be, you know? So I always encourage people to like, you may think you're in a business where art is insignificant and you can find that actually an artist can actually help you break through some of your, you know, your preconceived notions of what, what it is that you can create, you know? That's so cool, man. You know, so when we think about some of the things that you're doing, um, would you like to uh, perhaps maybe uh, tell our audience about maybe some some future events or uh, things that you have in, in, in store for us in the future that we can? I'm looking forward to going to it because I know whatever you're creating is going to be dope. So uh, yeah, tell our audience about some events that you have scheduled. Yeah, one of the biggest projects that I'm working on right now, um, it's a mul- it's a multi-month 
project, multi-year at this point, actually. <laughs> but I'm creating um, a series of portrait murals in Watts, in the city of Watts. Mm. And I'm calling the project Faces of Watts. And I'm working with a developer who has, you know, there was a stigma of the old uh, Jordan Down projects in Watts that for many years is like, you know, I mean, that's, that's where everyone, just negative attitude about that area because, you know, there was gang members there and there was this and that. And, you know, it was a, a place to stay away from, you know, like you didn't take tourists there, right? <laughs> um, well, the city decided like, hey, we're going to change this whole area in a positive way. And they brought in like there's a Nike store there now. There's like the first Starbucks in the neighborhood. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but. Uh, there's there's businesses coming in. There's a first grocery store across the street. There never was a grocery store there. You know, there's little shops now, and they're giving residents um, new new uh, uh, homes, new apartments, uh, brand new. Uh, Bridge Housing is is the the developer I'm working with, and um, they're giving the old tenants the opportunity to get into a new space, paying the same amount of rent that they were paying before. You know, or obviously if they don't want to stay they can leave or you know whatever what's interesting is this neighborhood is really transforming because you know now people are putting money into it and they hired me to create a series of murals there and they had no idea what what it would be but i pitched the idea uh, of faces of watts and creating portraits of the people and of the residents you know like uplifting them and and um talking about who they are and and having the you know, the Latino kid and the black kid and the Asian kid and whatever who live in the neighborhood and not just the kids, but the grandmothers and the grandfathers and the, the basketball athletes or whatever in the community and showing their portraits. So I'm, I'm really excited about this project. I've been working on it for a while now. We're finally getting to the, we just finished the design phase. So now we're getting into the actual painting, which is going to be a big celebration and going to get kids out there to help me paint and um, so that's starting off pretty soon, you know, in the next few months. And like I said, it'll be, it'll take maybe two, three months to complete the whole project. But I'm really excited about that project because to me, it's one of those, one of those really important mural projects where it's really impacting the community and it's going to, it's going to live there for a long time and it's going to be kind of a, like a legacy project. So I'm really happy about that one. And yeah, I'm doing other things, you know, I'm, I'm always exhibiting work. I just had a solo show that came down, but I'll be doing, like, I do things like painting live at events. I'm doing a, a, a Dia de los Muertos live painting um, in Riverside uh, later this year and things like that. And I have a lot of clients that, that I'm doing work for. Some, some of the projects I can't talk about, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of it. A lot, a lot of these projects, they're under NDA. And um, once it happens, I let people know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so make sure you follow me and stuff like that. Because once once they, they say, okay, you can talk about it, then I will, you know. All right. Tell them where they can follow you. Well, yeah, they can follow me on all social media at Man1Art. And that's M-A-N-O-N-E-A-R-T. So Instagram, Twitter, whatever, Facebook. Or go to my website, Man1.com. M-A-N-O-N-E.com. And I have all my information there, you know. 
Awesome. Awesome. And audience, we'll be having all of that information and some of the references that uh, man one, he discussed in the show's notes. So feel free to uh, scroll down and click on those and follow the man. (laughs) Well, man, one, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, man, Uh, getting to know you better. And I'm looking forward to uh, these NDAs uh, clearing up so we can hear about what you're doing. (laughs) Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. It's uh, I always love talking to people who are interested in, in making this world a better place. And so thank you guys, you know. That was a really refreshing conversation talking with him. Really appreciate the how realistic he is when he talks about his art practice and how he knew for him to be able to sustain it that unfortunately since we live in a society that values things by money for him to be able to sustain himself as an artist and to continue giving as an artist he had to figure out how to make a living with it and be able to communicate to others his values so he could do so yeah there was so many layers in this conversation that we could take from you know as artists and that we can learn from man one you know i really enjoyed once again i know we opened up about it in thinking about his becoming a problem solver you know looking at a situation and using his artwork in the community and actually problem solving and I'm really looking forward to seeing some of these other projects that he couldn't talk about, but (laughs) I really did enjoy uh, hearing that unique project that he has going on in Watts because uh, there's so many individuals in those areas that are creative in nature, but they don't have an outlet to support their creativity. So seeing another individual light man, one that looks like them in their area, putting up beautiful work like that. I know it's gonna really change that community and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, some of those things and we'll include those things also in the show's notes. So that's something we're looking forward to seeing in the near future. Yeah, I agree. I really appreciated that project that he mentioned in Watts too, because that's really difficult. It's like when you're living in an area and there's like a stigma attached to it and now they're working together so people can feel good about where they live and the, 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 not just the kids there, the adults there, everyone there can feel proud because they should feel proud. A lot of times those areas, it's like there's like a few people that give it a whole bad rep and everybody like, you know, completely like looks at the area like it's only being identified by the very few people that do bad things there. But the the actual folks that live there usually have a lot of heart for them to be able to survive, for, you know, as far as being able to have a community and watch each other's back and 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 deal with living in those types of areas sometimes it'll be nice to really see them honored and feel good about the good things that are happening there with the good people that live there yeah and hearing how art is a language that basically any issue when it comes to communication with other people Um, Because we know that, you know, whether you're living in Russia, whether you're living in Switzerland or what have you, if you don't speak the language, 
you understand the art and the art can communicate to you and resonate into your thinking. I really enjoyed uh, hearing Man One and seeing how he described that. Yeah, I agree. And I see that too when he talked about going back to when he is working with businesses that are not necessarily art-centered, but are want to include art as a part of their business for their customers or for the community. For him to be able to he was talking a bit about being able to change the way he even talks about art so that it comes across in a way that they can understand it, that they can understand how positively impacts their business. Um, it's interesting that you're, since you were talking about how he used art when he was a child to communicate and how he uses art as a bridge as well when he is is helping other businesses, other communities, other people who are not artists or in the art field, but using that as a bridge for them to communicate and and give to their customers or visitors. Yeah, definitely. And seeing how that art can actually support him and his family, you know, so that's another thing that that we we enjoy uh, talking about. And I know that at times, um, maybe if you're listening into this interview and you're listening into the way that we're describing uh, some of these things about money, uh, transitioning into different people's hands when it comes to artwork. Some people, they have different ideas and views on that. But having artists being supported, you see, and allowing those artists to actually create more work has a tremendous impact on the community. And that's one thing that we really enjoy uh, featuring. And very really grateful that Man One, he highlighted some of those things in our interview. And we would love to hear from you guys. Come and hang out with us online. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Leah Smithson Art. And you can find me on Instagram at Just Glaze Channing and also on Twitter at V-A-A-D dot podcast. That podcast. Vessel Art is a doorway podcast. And you can also uh, find us on our website at CLSS.studio. That's class without an A. Studio. And on that blog, we'll definitely have pictures and other references so you can actually see Man One's work. And those of you that have made it to the end, you guys are really precious to us. Thank you so much for listening in and spending time with us because we know that there are many other things, many other people that you could be listening to right now, but you're here with us. So thank you for being a part of Vessel Art is a Doorway. Mm-hmm.